Hey there, and welcome to episode 27 of the Beneath the Stats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Ron McKittrick. Joining me today for the second time this year is Section 10 podcast host and Bleacher Report content producer, Steve Peralt. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, glad to be back. Two-timer. This is, uh, we're getting pretty official here. This is great. It's big. Now, Steve, I know you're busy because we had a lot of back and forth just to schedule this on a Wednesday night. So as I told you before we started, I appreciate you doing it. Yeah. Now, I actually met you in person recently for the first time at the Baseball Tavern. Do you guys have a deal with them? I've always been interested by how that works. Yeah, Baseball Tavern um, was just kind of always the spot that we would go after the games. I know Jared had been going there for a while, uh, I think just because it has baseball in it. He can't do anything that doesn't involve the word baseball. So right. I think when he saw that in the title, he was like, oh, this is my spot. Um, so then when Section 10 really got cooking in 2016, uh, we would go to Tavern after all the all the Fenway Friday games. Uh, and that's where we, we just kind of started calling them Fenway Fridays because everyone that listens to podcasts or a lot of people would show up to the game. We'd uh, meet Section 10 people outside Gate D after the game and then go to Baseball Tavern. That's kind of been the routine for four seasons now, the last four uh, Red Sox seasons. So, um, yeah, that was that's kind of been the uh, the go-to move. And and from all all rumors, all reports, Baseball Tavern is, is no longer to be after uh, the end of this calendar year, it sounds like. So that's very sad. But, um, but yeah, we did get to meet, which is nice. I, you came at, you popped out of nowhere. I wasn't ready. I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh damn, what's going on? Because like, I, I know that was, uh, that was a busy night because we actually recorded a podcast uh, in, in the kitchen of Baseball Tavern. So um, they, the owners have been very nice to us. That place has been, been great to us over the years. So it is very sad if, if Tavern is no longer, but uh, from the sound of it, they're going to make a new one uh, within the next year or two. It's just that I think they're tearing down a lot of buildings on that strip to make uh, high-rise like condominiums. So um, that's kind of the reasoning for it. But yeah, I love Tavern. Tavern's the greatest. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because a lot of times I don't see people face-to-face, and we had never met before, and so there's so many people that come up to you. I'm sure you cannot imagine that I was the guy who was going to come up to you and say hi, that we did a podcast before and I'm doing it again. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty funny though. Like, I, I one of my favorite things about Baseball Tavern is the amount of people that we get to meet um, that that go there. It's it's pretty well known now that we'll be there after the games on Fridays. Uh, so it's over the years, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's th- this show is has been something that I'm very very passionate about, and it's something that we've been able to grow an audience uh, that I never thought we would grow. You know, to be this big, but um, but no, it's been a lot of fun, and and Tavern has been a huge part of it, honestly throughout the last uh, last four seasons. Are you guys going to find a new spot, or what's going to be the move? I know it, that was a, a, a big talking point. We're trying to figure out. I initially had pitched it to Jared that we should honestly have it as like a like some kind of lottery or something where it's like, all right, you guys got to, <laughs> you know, this strip of bars, let's say on Lansdowne, has to kind of sell us on why, you know, we should pick it as the next go-to bar. But, um, I mean, I, I think there's a place I'm blanking on right now. Cheeky monkey. I think it's called, uh, yeah. it's a, it's a bigger, newer bar in Lansdowne. They have like ping pong pool. It's a really cool setup. Uh, enormous beers, which is fun. Love drinking beer. Shout out beer. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. so yeah, it's a big fan, but yeah, so I think that that's definitely a leader in the clubhouse right now, but I'm not going to lie it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel very strange. Not, um, you know, not having tavern there, next season as is next year is going to be weird next season is going to be the team's going to look a lot different the vibe is going to be a lot different you're not coming off the honeymoon and of the uh, world series title so it, the it's going to be a, a strange year for sure but um i think the weirdest part is going to be no more baseball tavern honestly 
And I was going to end with the Sox, but as long as you brought them up, they had a tough season, obviously, for anyone who watched the team. The team was really out of it before the NFL season began, which is never a good sign. I'm sure it wasn't as fun for you guys doing the podcast, given that there wasn't a ton of excitement for this team this year. Going forward, as you said, how should fans feel? Because there were some bright spots with Xander Bogarts and Devers and Vasquez and Erod having good years, good young guys. But there were also a lot of guys who had bad seasons and Chris Sale's the number one, I think, for my concern. But how should fans feel and how do you feel about the Sox going forward here? I think the only way to feel is is a little strange. I mean, there's there's really no way uh, right now as a Red Sox fan to feel great about how it looks for next season. I think the second the, the Eovaldi deal happened, I was like, ah, okay. I mean, this guy has never consistently done it for a whole season. He's had injury concerns. Uh, injury problems throughout his career and you know he had a great October I'll give it to him but I thought that was a little aggressive for the money they gave him and for four years uh, the sale thing I was not as concerned with I know he consistently just decides that September is not when he wants to pitch he's like now nah, I'm all set the end of August and September he's like I'm just going to call it a season that's basically his routine which is super fun and I love it but I didn't I wasn't <laughs> overly concerned honestly, about the sale thing. I, I think if you're going to want to take a risk on a guy, um, which sometimes you have to do if you want to try to lock down an ace, that's kind of what they did. They understood the injury issues with sale and they still wanted to go forward and try to make it work and, you know, hope that they could maybe lighten his workload, not have him go as deep in games. And then maybe he'd be ready in September or at least not hurt. And once again, he was, you know, hurt in September, in August. And it's like, okay, we're doing this for, what, the third straight season. So um, that is rough. Also, the money that, that Price is owed obviously is tough when he barely pitched in the second half of the season. And when he did, he was terrible. So there's really not a lot to be optimistic about. I think the Mookie Bet situation is something that uh, we'll be covering very closely in the offseason. That's kind of the... If you're talking about Sox offseason moves, that's the beginning. That That's where it starts. Right. Um, and I think everything else is kind of based off of that. I, I personally think he will be back next year um, and that the Sox won't deal him. It, it, gun to my head, I would say next year might be the last season he's on the Red Sox. I don't think they're going to pay him like a half a billion dollars or whatever he's going to want. Um, so I think that could be it for Mookie. And then JD is somebody that really, if you listen to his comments post game after the final game of the season, they were not that uplifting. If you're if you're a Sox fan and you want JD back in Boston and to opt back into his deal, um, what he said after the game was not promising at all, and that would just suck. If JD's not back, that's brutal. It's something during this season that I didn't really think about much because we were trying to be as optimistic as possible and say, oh no, they still have a chance. Only four and a half back, only five back, yada yada yada. So until like September, I didn't really think about a lot of the Mookie and JD stuff. Um, but I think, you know, once it became brutally obvious that the Red Sox were not going to make the playoffs this year, that's when it kind of sunk in like, oh no, this could really be the end of some, some big names in Boston. If Mookie and JD aren't here anymore, like what the hell? Like I understand he had one of the best offenses in team history actually this year, which is insane to think when they still finish like 13 games out of a wildcard spot. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to change. The team is going to change vastly. I'm not ready for it. I know a lot of people that listen to our podcast aren't ready for it. I'm kind of shuffling to find ways that we can, um, you know, do as much content as we can this offseason. We definitely have a couple of plans, uh, a lot of interviews lined up. But the overall vibe is not great because we're not going to sugarcoat it. it it's, it's a team that is seemingly in a big transition period now, and they're also stuck with a lot of guys and contracts that they honestly don't want to have. They would never say that publicly, but um, they're definitely in a tough spot overall. 
Yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree that I can't see the Red Sox trading Mookie. I just can't see it. But I also can't see them signing him to that big deal, especially with Henry, who keeps talking about lowering the payroll and staying under the luxury tax. So there's a lot of question marks. But you mentioned the interviews. Let's get back to the podcast a little bit. So you had Kirk Minahan on this past week. I think anyone who's in Boston is fascinated with this guy in particular. What was it like to interview him? Because I know you've done it a few times. Yeah, Kirk is crazy. Uh, I we've we've talked to him three times now. I know the first time we interviewed him, I kind of had a decent vibe going in of what to expect with Kirk Minahan. When I worked at Nesson, we were I was part of like a smaller team. Well, this was part of my Nesson career, not all of it. A lot of it was just a production assistant. But uh, for a, about seven eight months, I worked with a couple other people there, um, kind of producing the Nesson broadcast of the Dennis and Callahan show, which Kirk Minahan was becoming a big part of at the time. This was probably back in 2014, 2015. And, um, and he was the worst. Like, like he would just <laughs> basically, he would try to get as controversial as possible. He would trash talk Nesson on Nesson's airwaves. And it was just constantly like we had to sometimes, uh, you know, mute the, the audio on the broadcast. We'd have to use the delay a lot. I had to start towards the end of it, keeping track of a full list of negative things that Kirk said during the three hours <laughs> we had them on air every morning from six to nine in the morning. So, um, yeah, it was that was tough. That was kind of my intro to Kirk. So I kind of knew what to expect going into the first time we interviewed him. But he was still pretty aggressive. And I remember he was calling me like a, a pedophile for having like a Jurassic Park poster behind me. I don't know. I mean, I, he's crazy. He's great. He he. His most natural environment is trying to destroy whoever is around him verbally. That is what he lo loves to do, and it's like his passion, and he's good at it. Um, but yeah, he he's definitely embraces the jerk mentality. He always has. I've learned how to interact with Kirk. It's not like any other human I've ever been around. It's constantly <laughs> uneasy. He's uncomfortable all the time, and he creates an uncomfortable environment. Him and our... Um, I guess you could say producer Bryn. Uh, Bryn helps with the show a lot, really helps out with a lot of stuff that Jared does for Section 10 and Starting 9. Bryn is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And yet he had, he found, you know, everything that was wrong with Bryn within like five minutes. And I'm like, this is so weird. I don't know. It was just uncomfortable. So um, I think the interview was solid. Honestly, like it's, I always feel weird because I'm always trying to think of the show in the grand scheme of things is like, all right, what do people want to hear? Um, what Red Sox stuff can we talk about? We obviously don't just want to talk about Red Sox. We want to mix it up, talk some life stuff, and, and incorporate the DMs, um, incorporate the listener as much as we possibly can. And we have way more leeway in the offseason to kind of get weird with it and mix it up than we would during during um, you know the the madness of the 162 game season. So having Kirk on this time of year makes sense. It's obviously a downtime for the Sox being done. Uh, but he, he was just, it was so random, man. It was just like, we went all over the place. We were talking like he was making light of his dad dying a couple of years ago, making some like joke off of it about the last words my dad said, uh, before he passed was how, how I need to avoid barstool breakfast with every ounce of my being, because it's going to be the worst show ever. <laughs> right. And we're kind of sitting there like, should we laugh? Do we not laugh? Cause it was obviously a joke, but like, it was so dark that I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know whether we should laugh or not. Um, but no, that's kind of <laughs> what he, that's what he's about. And I think the interview was solid. Um, it's not one that I am ever overly proud of because I would way rather interview a player than Kirk Minahan. I, I would way rather talk baseball like the majority of the time right. um, than talk about how much he hates everybody um, on the planet. So 
I think it serves its purpose for some listeners. A lot of comments and, and feedback was like, oh, why do you have this guy on, yada, yada. But that's just kind of how it goes. I think um, you're not always going to hit a home run with the guests you have on. But Kirk is somebody that uh, does draw an audience, that's for sure. Even if it's you love him or you hate him, I think you, you have to have an opinion on him either way. So I guess that's that's something that benefits us in some way. Yeah, I listened to the interview, and I actually thought it was really good. I think, Kirk, whatever you can say about the guy, he's entertaining and interesting nonetheless. So I thought it was yeah, I thought it was very yeah. entertaining. I think you guys handled it very well because clearly he's a very difficult guy to handle. And as you said, he loves confrontation. He loves uncomfortable situations. So as a person who's interviewing him and asking him questions when he's very confrontational, I can imagine that can't be easy. So props to you guys. But I want to transition again. So speaking of uncomfortable situations, Garen Austin, you also had her on the podcast. (laughs) It was an awesome interview with her. You said, quote, it was your favorite part of the year, I think, at the end of the podcast. Now, we don't have to get into the whole story because that might take too long and you have to get off the podcast at some point. But what was it like having Garen on the podcast? Because it does seem like you feel bad about calling her out on Twitter many years ago. Yeah, I I think... um... I mean, I'm still, I'm barely in my 20s. I'm hanging on in my 20s. But I think the more I, I became 29 in August, and I don't know why that changed my perspective on a lot of things. But like, when you realize you're not far from 30, I think it kind of is a slap in the face and it wakes you up a little bit. And granted, I, I kind of was more aware, I think a year ago now, um, that the Garen tweets were just kind of foolish and just unnecessary. And a lot of it stemmed from me Hating that Nesson got rid of Gary Streisky. I love Gary. That's my guy. Still my guy. Absolutely. He's killing it on uh, SportsCenter Snapchat. He's doing his thing. But um, yeah, it, it, it killed me that Gary wasn't in that position anymore. I thought he was really good at it. He did a good job of mixing humor. Um, he could give you news. He could do a little bit of everything. I thought he was extremely versatile. And um, so to lose him was tough. I know Nesson didn't treat him great on the way out. And I thought that was very undeserved. And and then, so I was just probably going to be upset at whoever took his place, and Garen happened to be that person. And um, I honestly didn't think she was that great out of the gate. And I was, I told her that, like, kind of off air uh, when we hung out in Baltimore earlier in the season to kind of clear the air. Um, of all places, I did not think in Baltimore we'd be like clearing the air, but that was uh, <laughs> one of the road trips me and my buddies went on this year, and, and she was there. So we decided to do it at a bar close by the park. Um, but yeah, it was. It was such a weird season, but like the Garen stuff was a lot of fun. Um, it was something that we obviously, you know, had like a fake relationship basically going on all season and, and we're really using each other for content. And, and as long as we both were aware that that was the case, I thought it was totally fine. Right. Um, there were some times that it was kind of funny. I, I was on a July 4th, like cookout with some extended family and um, they actually thought I was dating Garen and they were like, oh, we thought that Garen <laughs> was going to be here. And it's like, nah, that, that, you know, that's. That's a little bit strange. She at the time was covering the team in Toronto. So I was like, no, she's, you know, my girlfriend's in Toronto. Um, but no, it was, I, I think the Garen stuff this year was a lot of fun. It was something that um, was kind of a, a nice change of pace with how annoying this team was to follow. Oh, it was yeah. really, it was really a pain in the ass falling the socks this year and, and putting the amount of time we put into it. it, it it's taken me until this week to really calm down and kind of get out of the, the nonstop grind mode because Garen was, um, you know, on the show like a week ago and I was doing a lot of Garen content that week and was back home for my dad and grandma's birthday. So it was just a lot of, you know, hectic stuff. This is the first week I've been able to really kind of cool off in the off season. Um, and so looking back on it, yeah, the Garen stuff was just a lot of fun. It was, 
Uh, it was something I would have never expected going into this year, but it very clearly early in the year started becoming like a thing with the podcast and Jared tried to kind of hijack it there in the middle. But, uh, um, <laughs> the people did prefer when it was me and Garen putting stuff out there. Jared's got enough going on. I don't know. He didn't need to steal Garen too. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think it was a great little additional storyline, little plot for the, for the show this year. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Hopefully she's back. I know. I think her contract's up. Uh, so you never know what Nesson, I, I was there and, and we didn't really see eye to eye and kind of mutually uh, separated back in 2015. So you never know with Nesson. They, they've made a lot of bad decisions before. Um, so it's really hard to tell what her situation is going to be like professionally next season. But I am glad I will always kind of look back at 2019 as a whole, as a productive year for the podcast. We grew the show. Uh, Devers and Bogarts had had enormous seasons and the Garen storyline was was pretty cool for for the podcast. Did the podcast feel like more of a grind this year because the Sox weren't doing well? If so, how do you keep it interesting? Because they're definitely podcasts, depending on the guests, that might feel like more of a grind for me. I can imagine during a long baseball season, especially what you had last year when the team won it all and it was so much excitement. Did it feel like more of a grind this year? Like there were episodes that you thought I had to just kind of get through it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think last year, like don't get me wrong, last year was a grind. Absolutely. Like 2018 um, was a ton of work. I, I haven't professionally, I don't think put as much work as I put into anything than the 2018 season, because right. we realized pretty early on, I mean, it started like 19 and two. Um, we were like, all right, this is, we're putting all our chips in here. Like we, th- we need to take the show to the next level. Um, we had merch, but barely, I think it was just like a section 10 shirt. That's when we really started to make more shirts. Uh, that's obviously the postseason. We start doing live shows. Uh, a lot of people start, you know, we start doing meet and greets outside the park. Like the show really blew up last season. Um, but it was a ton of work this year was a different version of a ton of work. It was like, there would be times where I really was like, I don't want to do a podcast today. I, I really don't. Yeah, I really, and it, I, it seemed, I don't know if it was like, obviously the team was annoying and they did find some, some, uh, rhythm during the year. They did have a couple of stretches as much as it sounds like, you know, if you look at their record and the fact that they're only three games over 500, essentially, um, it doesn't feel like it, but there were times during the year where they had a little momentum and uh where things were kind of fun but it was few and far between in terms of podcasts that i went went into really excited about um so that makes it tough i mean naturally when you're when you're not pumped to be uh talking about a team that's that's just kind of killing you it's going to impact the product it's going to impact how we prepare for it but i always try to stay as level-headed as possible and and make the best possible show that that people are going to enjoy and and kind of treat as a distraction for how annoying the season was so um, not going to lie. It takes a lot out of you. Like it's, uh, I obviously then have a full-time job at Bleacher Report. So it is a lot of stuff to try to maintain. And, um, especially going back to Fenway, basically every home series that they have on the weekends, uh, that, that is a lot too, but it's something I wouldn't trade for anything. I think it's a lot of fun and you get to meet a ton of, a ton of cool people. And, um, it's, it's just a unique thing that I'm glad I'm a part of and, and kind of, I never knew it would be like this. I really didn't. Like I remember reaching out to Jared on LinkedIn in like 2015 when I realized the Nesson thing wasn't going to work out. And there's no chance I thought we would get to this point. So whatever grind it is, however difficult it might be um, to really come up with enough fresh content for two podcasts a week when the team sucks, is uh, it's all worth it. It's definitely all worth it in the end. I think anyone who's in the content business or the podcasting business or the blogging or the writing business gets the grind. So I absolutely respect it. And I, again, I really, this is why I appreciate you coming to the podcast because I know you're really busy. I know you're doing a bunch of things. So I really do appreciate it. I want to end it with this last note, Steve. I know you caught a foul ball in mid September. <laughs> yep. You said on Twitter, life is complete. 
<laughs> so how did it feel in the moment and how are you feeling in the reflection of it? Yeah, I know you can't see him holding the ball right now. This is, this is my baby. <laughs> this is my baby right here. But uh, yeah, it was so, and I knew Jared was going to bring this up. It was it was the most obvious question of all time if I caught it off the bat or not. Definitely didn't catch it on the fly. Um, <laughs> but no, it bounced off like the stairs right behind me because we were right on the aisle and I caught it off of that. Um, but no, it was it was awesome because like, I was with my boy Andre. We made the trip to Philly. It was um, Philly is an interesting place. The place my Airbnb was at was not necessarily the best, uh, so it didn't give me the best. Uh, the Airbnb was great, but the area wasn't that great. Uh, interesting but, is one way to put it. Yeah, it, it didn't give you the best vibe of Philly. There's a lot of places, <laughs> spots of Philly that are rough, but it was. Um, I love that park. Citizens Bank Park is awesome. I went there with my parents um, or my family rather. We would go on a lot of Red Sox road trips, and they were playing the Phillies back in. I think they play them every year, actually, which is kind of cool. But I think we went back in like 06, 07. And um, it was nice to get back to that park. And we were just kind of moving around. There were a ton of Section 10 people there, which I wasn't like fully ready for. Because at that point, the Sox season was over. Like it was it was mid-September. They hadn't like, you know, been mathematically eliminated. But they're like 10 out of the wild card. The season's done. And they were kind of eliminating the Phillies, which is hilarious, even though the Sox had <laughs> nothing to play for. Um, but no, there were a lot of section 10 people there. Me and my boy, Andre, were just trying to walk around. Um, it makes it so much easier to go to these games and it doesn't really matter what the result is because you can just kind of take in the environment and not, you know, feel like you have to see every two seconds of what's going on. Um, but yeah, we, we, we kind of snuck into these seats not far from, uh, the dugout and, um, we're just kind of chilling there. I was trying to get my ballpark kicks photo, uh, that I, you know, do like every game. I, I have way too many pairs of sneakers, but I figured I'd turn it into some kind of little thing with the ballpark kicks hashtag this season. And, um, I was getting that. We were just kind of chilling there. And then Marco Hernandez came up and, and sliced one right off the bat. I was like, Oh, I have a good chance at this. Like I really just needed no one behind me to catch it on the fly because I knew if it like landed anywhere near me behind me, I was getting it. But if anyone snagged yeah. it like right over my hand, then I would have been toast. Um, but no, I got the ball, which is awesome. It was, it felt like a, like, I don't know, like a video game where like you, you know, you, you accomplish some mission or something. And it's like, like I was, I kind of felt like I had, he, da, 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 da. like, so that's really what it feels like when you have the ball. And like, there were a couple oh, of section yeah. 10 people in the section next to us, but I, which I didn't even know. And they were like, yeah, Steve, you, you've been waiting so long for this kid. And I was like, that, that made it even better. Cause I, I wasn't even ready for that. And my boy, Andre's filming me like, you got a ball. It was, it was hilarious. And it, it really made the trip. And, um, and I'm glad there weren't any like little kids or like younger kids around me that I would have felt guilty like not giving it to them because it was. Oh, you gotta. Keep I know. It. I, I had to keep it. I said <laughs> I was going to keep it regardless, um, which I did. But yeah, if I get any more, I'll probably give it to a kid. But that that first foul ball, I'm never, I'm never giving that one up for sure. Well, I'm still trying to get the first one. I, it's just so funny when you're 29, 24, you think about it as a kid, and then when even when you're an adult or a young adult, you still have that feeling in your chest when the ball comes near you. I'm still it's waiting crazy. for <laughs> I'm still waiting for that moment, but I don't know when it's gonna come. Dude, we uh we had the the section ten. I had like organized the you know us bringing the listeners to the game and uh, that Yankee series at the start of September, and. Um, so we, we brought a couple of Section 10 listeners and we're up in this these like box seats or whatever. And my boy CJ like hooked us up with a ticket, super nice kid. And so we're up there having a fun time. And um, and a foul ball, like Encarnacion's up. He hits a laser right back up into where our seats are. And the kid, one of the kids that we brought, you know, caught the ball. And I, I was so, the night before was one of our last Fenway Fridays at Baseball Tavern. And so I was super hungover. Like, I, I wish I hadn't had as, you know, drank as much as I had the night before. 
Um, but I felt so terrible that game. And like my, my acknowledgement of what was going on in the field was so slow. Like I was picking up on stuff very slowly. And so the, uh, when the ball came back, like in my, my brain was like, yo, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. But my body was not reacting at all. Like I, I my arms weren't moving. And so this kid reacted, got the ball. And like, I, in theory could have got that ball. Um, so it, 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 you're totally right, man. There's this, there's this, your heart, like, just like pounds immediately. Like, oh my God, this is it. And it happens in a, you know, a split second. And you just have to hope that, that you were, Jared always says that you were the chosen one that day. Uh, <laughs> so, which is way too serious, but, um, but yeah, you really just need to make sure that, uh, that you're ready to catch it and you hope it doesn't go terribly. Cause a lot of times it's sometimes on the replay, you could get screwed. We've seen it every season. You see the replay of the idiot that had it in his hands and dropped it. You don't want to be that guy. Um, so yeah, I am, I mean, you moving forward, and my foul ball uh, goals, I do want to catch one on the fly. That that would be great. But if you really break the odds down, the odds of you actually catching a foul ball at a game are insanely slim. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I don't know how many there are a game. Some there are more than others. But let's say there's like 20 to 30 or something like that um, that are like catchable that don't leave the stadium at Fenway uh, out of out of 36,000 people. So it, it, you really have a, a very minimal chance. So I'm, I'm at least glad that I got one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, talk about something you can't put a price on. So basically, you buy a ball for $2.99, $3.99 at the store, and there's no experience like it. But on that note, Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Make sure to follow Steve Peralta on Twitter, at Steve underscore Peralta, and listen to the Section 10 podcast on Barstool Sports. Steve, thanks again so much for joining me on Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's uh, let's do it again when the team actually does something. <laughs> when, they actually make, when they actually make some news that's like positive, we'll, we'll run it back. Thanks again so much to Steve Peralt for joining the podcast. I really appreciated him coming on because, as I said, he's a really busy guy. He has a lot going on, and I know Hardy says everyone is busy. But really, just to do this podcast, it was hard to make it work. So I'm really happy he was able to come on. I always love to hear his thoughts on a variety of issues, especially what's been going on with the Section 10 podcast. It's always interesting to hear about that. And I just really appreciated hearing his thoughts. So thanks to him. But I did want to end the podcast by talking about a couple of things very briefly. First of all, Patriots, another easy win over the Redskins, who were terrible. It took the Pats a little bit to get going in the second half. Once it got going, it was an easy win, as we all expected. And there really isn't a lot to say about the Patriots. They're 5-0. I think the first real game, although they're playing the Giants this Thursday night, their first real game is going to become a Week 9 against the Ravens on the road. But even then, I think they're going to have that game. So there really aren't many tough games for this team. It's going to be the playoffs. And right now, it's just boring to be a Pats fan. And the only interesting thing about this team is the kicking situation. And Stephen Gostowski is out for the year since I last had the podcast. And now they have Nugent, who came in. And he is not known for his kicking capabilities, which is tough as a kicker. Obviously, he missed his first extra point, which was always tough to see. And we're going to have to see how that goes. But my take on the whole Gostowski thing is, yes, Gostowski has been very inconsistent this season. He's been brutal, especially on extra points. He's been inconsistent in big playoff games. And although this guy's had a long, great career with the Patriots, the confidence from everyone around this kicking situation with Gostowski had gone way down. However, I do agree with Maz from Felger and Maz that once this guy's gone... You don't feel good about it. And although we weren't confident in him, I feel more confident about him than other guys just because we know him. Because at the end of the day with him, it really seems mental. And I do have some faith that he could ultimately figure it out or at least be good enough. But with guys like Nugent or these other kickers coming in, 
it's unsettling, and it's the only unsettling part for this team. It'll be interesting to see what they do going forward in terms of the kicking situation. But that's really the only concern, and it's going to be another boring rest of the regular season for the Patriots besides a few games. Switching gears to the Red Sox, I talked about it briefly with Steve, but the one thing to discuss with this team going forward beyond who they're going to keep and not is the general manager situation and the president of baseball operations situation. And one name who it's been on the radar a little bit was Theo Epstein, although Theo said he was going to stay with the Cubs. And another name that Maz had actually talked about, also on Felger Maz, was Billy Bean. And I thought that was a very interesting choice. And I would love any guy who gets the most out of young talent because you get a guy like that who's done a good job of creating young talent and finding a good core with an actual payroll. It'd be interesting to see how that would work out. So I'd love, obviously, for them to get Theo. I'd love, obviously, for them to get a guy like Billy Bean. And they're going to have to rebuild. Switching gears to the Celtics as we move quickly through these topics. Now, the regular season for the NBA starts up middle end here of October. And it just seems like the whole vibe is better with this team this year. I'm excited. I think they're going to be more likable. They're going to be more watchable. I think Brad Stevens is going to have a better grasp of this team. He's going to have a better grasp of Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and what to do with a guy like Kemba. And they're just guys that are easy to root for in this group. Kemba just seems like a generally good guy and a good leader. Robert Williams and Taco Fall are just electric factories. They're so easy to root for as big men that come off and give a lot of energy, Taco Fall especially. And as I said before with Christopher Tyler last week, the key is going to be the shooting guard small forward situation with Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, and how those guys mesh and how those guys play well together. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, yes, Kyrie Irving was tough for team chemistry, but Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum did not help each other out. And they all kind of do the same thing. And how they're going to coexist, how they're each going to make each other better. Because last season, guys didn't make each other better at all. And that's what a good basketball team does. So how those guys play well together is going to be one thing I'm going to be looking at in the first few weeks of the season coming up here in a couple weeks. Now, to end the podcast, enough sports. we got to talk about the Joker. And there's been a lot of talk about the Joker and whether it's going to have an influence on mass hysteria or a mass shooting or someone who is mentally ill is going to feel sympathetic towards that situation, have the idea to start shooting people or create violence. And I do think there is some truth to that statement. I did see the Joker, and I could see how if someone's mentally ill and someone has been an outcast or someone has had a feeling of not belonging and they watch the Joker movie, then yes, I could see how a person who's not mentally sane could be influenced to do something like that. However... To say that there is some possible risk to a movie having an effect does not mean that the movie should not be played. And that, to me, is the most ridiculous statement of all time. Now, I do think it's all one or the other right now with this argument. First of all, there are many movies that portray a immoral person and explain their behavior. And I think a lot of times people criticize movies for either sympathizing too much or casting that person in a positive light or in a more positive night than they should have. And I don't think that's the case with the Joker at all. Obviously, you have some sympathy for him. How can you not? But I also think that if you're going to create a psychological profile or a story of how one came to be a certain way, 
the reasons for that behavior are important to the story, and that's the interest. So I think it's a little bit ridiculous to say that because we see the Joker, for example, get knocked around, or because we see the Joker crying, or because we see that the Joker was abused as a child, or because we see the Joker has severe mental illness, or because we see that the Joker is an outcast of society that's battling a lot of internal turmoil, that somehow it makes his actions right. And I think that's a huge difference between the two. You can explain someone's behavior and still blame them for that ultimate behavior because if we're going to understand people at all, you have to understand the past experience they've had to lead them to that point. It doesn't mean you're glorifying it. And I guess you can make the case that at the end of the Joker, and this is going to be a spoiler, so please turn this off, but at the end of the Joker, when everyone's praising him and he's getting acknowledgement, I guess you could argue that that's glorifying. But I don't think anyone watching the movie is rooting for this guy after he starts killing people. You think he's a freak, and you think he's a psychopath, and he's terrifying. And the same level of compassion you had for him does go away. So this idea that it's glorifying this behavior, it's promoting this behavior, it's casting the Joker in a more positive light than he should, I think is utterly ridiculous. I think it's missing the point of the film. I think the film's purpose in terms of what it's trying to say is that there are all these mentally ill people and there are all these people that are cast out from society who aren't treated well. And there is a consequence for that behavior. There is a consequence for the super wealthy and certain higher people in society that disregard the people at the bottom or the people who have severe mental illness as clowns or crazy, and you see the revolts. But to say that, therefore, they're explaining that you can be a mass murderer or kill people for that reason, I think is a ridiculous statement. I think you can't say you shouldn't be able to show art in that way. You can't censor this type of material. There's plenty of movies that cast a bad person is the main character. And there's going to be a lot of movies you have to get rid of if you want to get rid of this movie. So I think the criticism is not valid. I understand the concerns. However, that's the fear with any sort of art, any sort of good writing, any sort of material that might connect people to it. Because it is a film that is a psychological profile, as I said, about the Joker's life. And it also makes some comments about society as well. So there are some political issues at play. And this is another thing about the media and I'm a journalist, so I guess you consider me part of the media. If you keep saying that if you show these movies, it's going to create mass hysteria, and one of the problems is attention, and you're giving all this attention, and you give attention to the mass murderers, then you're a part of the problem as well. So you can't say that we shouldn't be talking about these issues, or we're fearing for this, because it might put the idea in someone's head, when that could, might as well put someone's head as well. And the other thing is, is it really going to take the Joker this movie, to get a mentally ill person to do something like this, it wasn't The Dark Knight or any of these other movies, I just don't understand it. I get the concern. I just think it's over the top, and I don't think you can limit films to what they can do in that way, and it just, it's missing the point about psychology, because to not sympathize with someone who makes a crime, or not understand when they do it, then you can't solve the problem. So to say that you shouldn't talk about someone's past and someone's behavior because it creates sympathy for them, could still have sympathy for a mass murderer if he was abused as a child. Now, it doesn't excuse the behavior, as I said, but it just misses the point. It misses the point of human behavior. It misses the point of trying to help someone. You can't help someone if you don't know what the problem is. So are we just going to pretend these people just become criminals overnight? No. They might be mentally ill. 
They might have an abused past. They're going to feel like an outcast. And the cast someone is just evil and not explain how they got to that point. I just think it's short-sighted. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.